0: Joy to the world, the Lord is come. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. On them a light has shined. Friends, we have been made aware of and celebrated these great realities these past many days. The word has been made flesh and dwelt among us. The light has shone into our darkness. So now what? Christmas has happened, so what's next? How does it change the way that we live out our days, our ordinary, everyday human experiences? Or as Francis Schaeffer penned it so many years ago, how should we then live? We should be people who watch for the light in our lives in the here and now. You see, God's coming to us is not just something that happened in the past. It is a recurring possibility here and now, each and every day. As a poem I received on a Christmas card says, if you look for me at Christmas, you won't need a special star. I'm no longer in Bethlehem. I'm right there where you are. God's story of the birth of Jesus is one that invites us into both the ordinary human experiences that Jesus encountered as he took on the flesh, like going to the temple for circumcision, like the offering of sacrifice as the firstborn, the ordinary human experiences, as well as the mystery of the God who in love initiated his coming to us in this way. His physical birth, his life as a child that grew both in wisdom and stature, his ministry among his friends and followers, his joy and his sufferings, are all places that invite us into his story. But we must be willing to make room for him in our own hearts and lives. We must watch for and attend to the light as it comes into our own stories, becoming part of God's story. We must be open to both the ordinary and the mystery of his coming. The first two chapters of the Gospel of Luke, recounting the birth of Jesus, includes ordinary, simple people who were open to the light, people who were available to God's invitation, people who experienced an epiphany of God's coming near. We understand epiphany meaning an experience of sudden and striking realization, an awakened heart. These people in Luke include Elizabeth and Zachariah, Joseph and Mary, the shepherds out in the field, and Anna and Simeon. And each unique epiphany resulted in words of praise and adoration. Our text this morning focuses on Simeon's epiphany experience and his response, often known as the Song of Simeon, which Parks just sang, pronouncing a blessing that welcomes the light of revelation to the Gentiles, as well as a prophecy of the great cost of that blessing. Why is it that God, through His Spirit, has included Simeon's encounter with the baby Jesus into Holy Scripture. What can we learn from Simeon? We don't know a lot about him. He only shows up here. But what we do know helps us to understand how you and I can become more open and available to the coming of Jesus into our own stories. Simeon was a man who knew how to wait for the arrival of Christ. Simeon's very name is the Greek form of the Hebrew word Shema, which means to listen, the great Shema of Israel. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Simeon was one who embodied listening, listening for the voice of God. Luke writes that the Holy Spirit had revealed to Simeon that he would not see death until he had seen death. The Lord's Christ. Simeon had to be available to hear the Holy Spirit. Simeon had the ability to listen. I heard a phrase a while back that the best ability one can have is availability. Friends, do you make your hearts and your minds and your ears available to listen for the Spirit of God? in whatever place you are and what i love about the word shema or listen is it also means to obey it is in our listening for god that we are obedient to him our text says simeon was righteous and devout he was present at the temple waiting for the consolation of israel in other words simeon was practicing those disciplines of faithful jews to be present and available to God. The Jews practiced prayer seven times daily. They emphasized temple worship and ritual. Simeon's whole purpose, person was an embodiment of his name, one who listened and one who tuned his ear by the disciplines of prayer and worship. What about you? What about me? Do we take the necessary time to be quiet and alone and focused on Jesus, watching for his coming into our everyday experiences. In our busy and chaotic lives, we must find ways to be still, to be silent, and to listen, to be available to the God who so desires to reveal himself to us. It was Henry Nouwen who wrote, Somewhere we know that without silence, words lose their meaning. That without listening, speaking no longer heals. That without distance, closeness cannot cure. Coming off of a busy, busy month, let each of us take time once more to be still, to be quiet, to be in solitude, to experience the coming of Christ in our lives. Simon, Simeon was not only made himself available by listening and practice, but our text says that he waited. He waited for the consolation of Israel. We're often not very good at waiting. C.S. Lewis reminds us, I'm sure that God keeps no one waiting unless he sees that it is good for him to wait. It is in our waiting that we're drawn closer to the God who loves us. We spend a lot of life waiting, waiting to finish school, waiting to be married, waiting to get our children out of diapers, waiting to retire, waiting for dot, dot, dot. But what is it we're really waiting for? It's for that presence of God that assures us that we are not alone on this journey. Our eternal Father came to us because he wanted to join us on the road. When Simeon saw Jesus being brought into the temple, he knew immediately it was he who he had been waiting for, and he took him in his arms. Simeon knew what he was waiting for, Do you know what you're waiting for? The Greek word here of waiting is a waiting with intention. It's a waiting forwardly, a looking for the coming, waiting for someone or something to happen. Friends, Jesus has come to earth and walked our lives as human. He knows and understands the darkness and the struggles and the fatigue that we face. He has already experienced everything you and I will have to face in this life, and he is already present in all those places. When we experience God's presence in those very real and mysterious ways, we know for certain that we are in the presence of the other, that we are in the presence of the living God. Are you looking forwardly to where we might meet God in the here and now. Simeon reminds us to wait forwardly, patiently vigilant, but as one author notes, not so patient that we lose our vigilance, nor so vigilant that we lose our patience. As we look and listen for the light, as we practice and embody that attentiveness, are we waiting forwardly with anticipation for the presence of God in Christ in each and every moment. Simeon teaches us to be available to God by our willingness to listen, to obey, to wait. And Simeon was open to and filled with the Spirit of God. It's Luke, the Gospel writer, that emphasizes the presence and activity of the Holy Spirit through this Gospel. In in our passage today, the Holy Spirit is mentioned, I think, three or four times that the Holy Spirit was upon Simeon, revealing to him the light of Christ. Simeon went to the temple, it says, because he was prompted by the Spirit. And it was the Holy Spirit, our text reads, that gave him the endurance to wait. And it was the Holy Spirit that gave him the assurance that he would see the Messiah before he died. I cannot tell you how many times in the work that I do as a pastor that I feel promptings by the Holy Spirit. Call this person, stop by this home, write a note to this person. Simeon lived as one filled with the Spirit. Friends, God's Spirit is here all around us, but we must be attentive and available to that Spirit. I'm often reminded in the early days of Christianity that one of the symbols for the church was a boat. And in Jesus' time, there was two ways to power a boat. One was by rowing, and another was to harass the power of the wind, a sailboat. When the early Christians used a boat as a symbol of the church, it was never a rowboat. It was always a sailboat. God's presence was alive to Simeon through his spirit, but Simeon had to put up his sail. What about you? What about me? Do we put up our sail and pray, come Holy Spirit? The miracle of the incarnation is a historical reality that we claim as Christians. It is one that Simeon experienced in his lifetime because he was present and available. And here we are, more than 2,000 years later, still present to that reality. But what we long for is not so much the objective proof as Frederick Buechner writes of God's existence in the Incarnation, but what we long for is the very experience of God's presence. Simeon's final words to Mary points to what life held for her beloved child in the days to come, pointing to his crucifixion. It involved the pain and piercing of Mary's soul. You see, it is often in those places of deep pain that we experience most the presence of God. Because love, real, costly love, involves both beauty and pain. One of my favorite Christmas books, which is not at all about Simeon, (laughs) is entitled The Christmas Miracle of Jonathan Toomey, and it speaks to us of the significance of God coming near to us in Jesus Christ amidst the brokenness of life. It was this story that brought my late father, not a very religious man, who often critiqued my sermons in not-so-kind ways. It was this story that brought him to tears one Christmas Eve night several years ago as he opened his hands to receive communion from me. The story begins with a gruff character, a woodcarver by trade named Jonathan Toomey. Toomey was so known for his grumbling and mumbling and his sad, distant demeanor that the local children called him Mr. Gloomy instead of Mr. Toomey. What the village people did not know was the reason for Mr. Toomey's gloom and sadness. You see, some years earlier, Mr. Toomey was young and full of life and love. His wife and baby then became very sick and both died within three days of each other. Totally broken and disheartened, Mr. Toomey moved alone to this little town and poured himself into his wood carving to try and forget his pain. One day there was a knock on Mr. Toomey's door and there stood a young woman and a little boy named Thomas, Mrs. McDowell, a recent widow, and her son Thomas. She explained to Mr. Toomey that in the mess of their move to this town, she had somehow lost a very special set of nativity Christmas figures that her grandfather had carved for her as a little girl. Having learned from the village people that Mr. Toomey was a master woodcarver, Mrs. McDowell became hopeful that perhaps Mr. Toomey would carve a new nativity set, and of course that he would do it by Christmas Day. Mr. Toomey responded that he thought Christmas was pish-posh, and he was, but he said, I'll take the job. At least it'll give me something to do. So the story continues with a newfound relationship between the little boy, Thomas, and Mr. Toomey, and Mrs. McDowell. In his childlike way, Thomas said things like, <clears throat> "Try to describe the nativity pieces to Mr. Toomey, who was dismissive and indifferent. And Thomas said things like, Mr. Toomey, the sheep aren't supposed to look like that. They're supposed to look happy because they're with baby Jesus. And Mr. Toomey, the cow doesn't look right. The cow was supposed to look proud because he knew that Jesus chose to be born in his barn. And again, Mr. Toomey, the angels, they need to look important because they have something special to say about baby Jesus. On and on and on this conversation went for days and days around the wood carving table. And Mr. Kumi carefully and skillfully carved each piece of the nativity set. And all the while, his heart softened slowly by the conversation with Thomas and his very presence being there. The day before Christmas Eve, Mrs. McDowell and Thomas appeared again at Mr. Toomey's door to see what progress had been made. Mr. Toomey said to Thomas, all I have left to carve is Mother Mary and baby Jesus. Thomas, Toomey asked, can you tell me what those figures look like? Oh, Thomas said, they were the most special of all. Jesus was smiling and reaching up to his mother, and Mary looked like she loved him so very much. Thank you, Thomas, the woodcarver said. To which Thomas replied, well, tomorrow is Christmas. I do hope the figures will be ready. To which Toomey abruptly replied, they will be ready when they are ready. All that day and night, Jonathan Toomey tried to sketch the final figures of Mother Mary and baby Jesus. He would draw and draw and then crumple the paper and toss it on the floor. There was a growing pile of papers at his feet. He picked up a block of wood and tried to carve, but his knife would not do what he wanted it to do. He hurled the chunk of wood into the fireplace and sat staring into the fire he just could not imagine or embrace or make himself available to who this baby Jesus was, this God who chose to come be with him. Is that not what it is like for us sometimes on this side of life? We've been made for communion with God, yet as hard as we try to be like Simeon, We fall short of embracing what this love of God is capable of. We are more like Jonathan Toomey sometimes than Simeon. We cannot imagine what the presence of Jesus could be like in certain places in our lives. We either falsely manufacture a God that is far off that we can control and manipulate so as we pretend to stay in control of our own lives, or we fail to see or experience Jesus as God come to us because of great pain or loss in our own lives, and we end up blaming God for it. We cannot grasp that God could possibly love us as much as he says he does, that God is present in the midst of our everyday, ordinary lives. When Jesus, the Word made flesh, made his dwelling among us, he did it to make God's heart known to us and to show show us what it means to be fully human, to be made in the very image of God. By becoming human, Jesus gives meaning and purpose to each and every detail of our lives, walking with us in our stories. This means then that all of our time in this life is sacred because God is present with us in us, in it, in sickness and in health, in struggle and in celebration, in fear and in fullness, in life and in death. Jonathan Toomey spent all night attempting to carve this Mother Mary and this baby Jesus. Long into the night, he heard the church bells for the Christmas service. At that, he went over to a drawer hidden beneath the cupboard. And from it, he took an old lace handkerchief and a tiny white baby blanket from the back of the drawer. He lifted a picture frame with a sketch of a woman sitting in a rocking chair, holding a smiling baby. Jonathan held the picture of his wife and baby to his chest, and he let the tears come. He slowly returned to his workbench, where he placed the picture, and then he began to carve quickly and assuredly. He carved all through the wee hours of the morning. Christmas morning, there was a knock at the door, and Miss McDowell and Thomas were standing outside. With a newfound grin on his face and a warm welcome, Mr. Toomey invited them in and announced that the figures were ready. As they unpacked the nativity, the smiling sheep, the proud cow, the caring shepherds, the important angels, they came upon the compassionate mother, Mary, and a smiling baby, Jesus, looking up into his mother's beautiful face. That day, Mr. Toomey, went to the Christmas service with Mrs. McDowell and Thomas, and no one ever called him Mr. Gloomy again. Jonathan Toomey understood the profound love and meaning of life that God so wants to reveal to us in the gift of Jesus Christ, who comes to walk with us in every journey of life that we face. Simeon shows us how to be available to God in attentiveness and watchfulness in his presence among us. Mr. Toomey shows us that even when we are not looking for God or so very available, God is looking for us. And both of them can pray, Lord, now you are letting your servants depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. May it be so for each of us. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, you became flesh among us so that you could speak with us, walk with us, pray with us, yet even die with us. You took on human flesh so that nothing human would be alien to you, so that in everything except sin, you could be like us. And in so doing, you showed us the immense love of the one one who sent you, your heavenly Father. We thank you, God, for this gift, this day and every day, amen.